Oh, there's nothing quite like the smell of fresh blood upsets in the month of March. The 12-5 stunners, the 11-over-6 buzzer beaters. But most of the time, what do you get for that? A dash of I told you so at the water cooler? Oh, look at my bracket. I nailed that one. Great. Wouldn't you rather get paid instead? At mybookie.ag, you can and you will. The 12-5 upset when betting with MyBookie is a take-your-girl-out-to-steak-dinner-winner-winner. And right now, when you sign up for an account, MyBookie will match your deposit with a 50% bonus. Here, just have 50% more. Why not? Use promo code ZABE, Charlie, Zulu, Alpha, Bravo, Echo, at MyBookie.ag to activate. We're all going to be in office pools, and that's fine. Nobody's going to get the perfect bracket. We know that. But you can make a killing at tournament time by seeing the big mistake coming and pouncing. So let's go, people. My bookie will match your deposit with a 50% bonus. Use promo code ZABE to activate the offer. You play, you win, you get paid. Only at mybookie.ag. Today on the ZABEcast, the closer they come, the harder the taco falls. Heartbreak for Central Florida against Duke and Johnny Dawkins and his son. Mount Zion lives to play another weekend, and nobody's happier for that then CBS and Turner. We'll talk Tom Izzo and the science of how much yelling at kids you coach is a good thing. Also, we'll talk perfect brackets, perfect headphones. It's a perfect way to start your week. Your bonus, 1% me, is locked and loaded, so buckle up and let's go. looking, gets it in up top to Taylor. Five seconds, he's on the right wing, he drives inside, leans in, puts it up, no good, tap back, no good by Dawkins. Duke rebounds, and the ball game is over. The Blue Devils escape, 77 to 66. Johnny Dawkins' son, Aubrey, had a chance to tap it back in at the buzzer, but he missed it, and Duke is on to the Sweet 16 for the 27th time in school history. And the teacher barely escapes the pupil as Mike Krzyzewski gets the win over his former star, Johnny Dawkins. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Wow. Is that why you were here? Oh, that's why I'm here, a 77-76 thriller. And that's why, kids, they coined the phrase survive and advance. Monday, March 25th, 2019. Thank you for downloading and thank you for joining me. Wow, what a game that was. UCF versus Duke. And there was plenty of meat on this one for just about everybody to chew on. It had, of course, big plays, star power, the coaching connection, as you heard there, Johnny Dawkins and Coach K, and, of course, controversy. Because when you're this wrapped up into a game and you're especially hating Duke as much as most people do, you're going to play armchair referee and say, that's a foul! That's not a foul! And so on. And so forth. And that's where we begin today on this Monday, where there is just so much from the weekend that can be discussed, and I will try to discuss as much as possible here in our time together. So it was Zion Williamson 32 11 and 4, including the big drive and foul and bucket that led to Duke having a chance to win this game. It really led to Duke escaping by the skin of their teeth. Duke escaping in the most Duke way possible. I know (laughs) my buddy Juan Account Rhodes, the biggest Maryland fan there is, who got daggered on Saturday as LSU uh, came, threw away a huge lead, but then beat Maryland on a buzzer beater. It's It's the only buzzer beater I think so far in the tournament. The tournament has been very much bereft of one shining moment. So there's been a couple. The tournament's not over, but so far it's uh, hadn't been a whole lot of them. Uh, Tremont Waters with the dagger drive and maybe travel. You're not going to get that call. As LSU beats Maryland 69-67, to 67, overcoming, having thrown away a huge, huge lead. And many of us had LSU minus three 
and they're up big. I think they were up 15 in the first half, and you're thinking, okay, they're good. Then LSU gets hit with a zone by Maryland, and LSU was like, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Do do we shoot? Do we try? I'm just passing here. And a lot of people were telling me, yeah, well, it'd help if Will Wade, their coach, was there. Hey, I think their assistant coach, the guy uh, Bedford, who's standing in for him, I think he knows how to draw up a play or two against a zone. But anyway, I digress. So my boy, one account, totally pissed off, totally daggered on Saturday. And then as a guy who hates Duke as a Maryland fan with the burning heat of a thousand suns, he then has to watch that. (laughs) Yeah, there's calls that we can second guess here, but man, what great theater. Zion was the key. Zion was their only savior. Yes, Barrett had a big three. Yes, he had the putback that put him ahead, but it was the Zion show. 32-11-4. More on him and his pro prospects, according to some, in just a second. On the final play, uh, B.J. Taylor drives against Trey Jones. Looks like he might be getting impeded. Many of you were saying to me, that's a foul. Of course, Duke never gets called for it. Taylor, and this is where my my other big Maryland friend and uh, colleague Ron Thomas. You'll hear him on the golf show later this week here on the Zabecast. Uh, Ron, who also is a big basketball aficionado from Indiana and knows a good number of referees and has a more global view of the game. He doesn't hate Duke as much as as Johnny does. He said, look, that was a good no call. And he, he shared a text thread with me with several officiating buddies who said, you watch the play, Taylor gets the advantage on Jones. Taylor then leans his shoulder in and leans his neck towards Jones to sort of initiate contact. Jones is not just vertical, but he is actually vertical minus, in which his arms are back behind his head to make sure he did not commit a foul. And Taylor got a great look that just missed. And then Dawkins got a great tip that somehow just missed. Oh, it was such good, heart-stopping theater. And so maddening if you hate Duke and you think they always get away with it and always get the breaks. They don't always get the breaks. They're just there all the time, as you heard from the announcer, 27th time that Duke will be in the Sweet 16. The Sweet 16 for a program like Duke or Kentucky or Kansas or any one of these big battleship programs is not hardly their goal. But getting to the Sweet 16 is hard. It still is hard. So they've been there so many times, and they're so good and so relevant. Duke has had plenty of times in which they have been daggered, and they have suffered the kind of loss that they almost suffered in this particular game. UCF missed a big chance to go up six when it couldn't connect on an alley-oop. Dayon Griffin sent a laser beam lob to Dawkins, and as he went up to go get it and slam it home, it went right through his hands. God, was that. That's the kind of thing you're watching, and especially if you're betting these games and maybe you're betting UCF money line. You are losing your mind. Reddish came back. I'm sorry, I said Barrett hit the big three. Reddish hit the big three on the other side, and then Zion took over. Of course, peop, uh, oh, speaking of betting money line, Darren Ravel said that uh, outfit called Points Bet in New Jersey says they are refunding anyone who had UCF on a money line wager as a promotional good karma type move. They said there were more than 100 plus total bets with $2,000 being the biggest individual refund. This practice is allowed in New Jersey. It is not allowed in Las Vegas. And many of us think that it's complete bullshit too, that certain books in Jersey because they want the promotion. They're like, oh, aren't they nice? It's the bookie who won't break my kneecaps just because I'm a couple weeks late on my payment. I don't think they should do this. You had UCF. You you lost. 
You wish they had thrown down that alley-oop. You wanted them to get the last tip in. Guess what? They blew it. No money for you. Others on Twitter like one Nicole Auerbach. Not sure if she's any relation to the great Red Auerbach. Tweeted, no matter what, UCF should absolutely declare itself the national champion after this performance. Ah ha ha. Ah ha 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 ha. Get it? Because of the old football thing? Okay. Taco Fall was good in this game. Not spectacular. He was good. He was solid. 15 points, 7 of 10 shooting, 6 rebounds, blocked Zion 3 times, followed through on his promise that he would not get posterized by Zion Williamson. But he did get fouled out. And some would say that the fifth foul was very weak. It was kind of weak. There was a, a foul that Taco Fall committed on Zion, taking it right to him, that was complete muggery, and that was not called. So it does tend to even out. And as far as Zion on the spin move drive that set up that basket, was it a charge? Man, guys are so good now at flopping, and they they know how to, to throw their bodies. It's It's an impossible call to make, and Zion got hit with his fourth foul on an offensive foul as well. You're just, I don't think you're going to get that call. You're not going to get back-to-back charges on Zion Williamson. I think it was his fourth that was an offensive foul. It might have been his third. Either way, I thought it was a extremely equitably refereed game. And I know that kills Duke haters for, to hear me to say that. Now, speaking of refereeing, let's talk about the review in this game. I, I can't remember the last time I saw a play and a basketball review in which I look at it and I look at it and I look at it and I go, holy shit, I, either I'm drunk or I I think I've seen it both ways now. It looks deceiving depending on which angle you choose to believe in more. Because on the one angle, the really clean, super Stop doing that. Sorry. Just having fun. The super clean, super slow-mo angle from the front right of the basket. It looked like it probably... Well, I don't know. Like, the ball does skid in a somewhat awkward fashion. It's rotation changes at some point, but you don't know if it actually changes because it skims off the rim or because it skimmed off the backboard from the overhead view up on top of up on top of Mount Smoky up on top of the backboard looking down. It looks like it missed everything or, or it missed the iron entirely. I couldn't tell. I really couldn't. I I looked both ways. I know this took fucking forever, didn't it? And did it change the outcome of the game? No. I mean, might have, but there was still time left for things to happen. So don't get me started on basketball replay. Then there was the Dawkins-Coach K moment afterwards. And, you know, Coach K... We, we were just uh, so special. Yeah, just we're, we're very lucky. I mean, they deserve to win, my gosh. And uh, I just think the world of uh, of Johnny, and I know he wants my job, um, and he's probably going to get the job in, you know, uh, about 30 years, and he'll be an old man. I'll, I'll be really old, but I'm still going to coach. I'm going to coach until I'm 100. I'm going to coach until my hair dye no longer conceals the fact that I should be gray by now. Which leads me to a rhetorical question regarding Duke basketball. I posed this on my Twitter feed using a sort of a a pilot program called Cited Debates, S-I-D-E-D. It's an interesting concept that, you know, for years, what have we said about Twitter? What have I said about Twitter? I've said, uh, uh, you know, we're not getting paid for any of these this content we're providing. Well, Scott Kaplan, who is a radio host from San Diego, you've heard him here on the Zabecast before, has started this company called Cited Debates. And 
He says the plan is, right now it's in beta, but he says the plan is to have it so that hosts like me set up debates on this platform. We go off into this side room, me and you and everyone else who follows me or whatever, stumbles into this room, and then we argue it out in this room on sided debates. And somehow, and this is where it's all fuzzy to me, and I'm sure he's done a lot of work on this. Somehow, he says, there's going to be a chance for you, the participants, to earn points to redeem for food and stuff and beverages. So there's something in it for you if you make good points or you're in there mixing it up. And there's a potential for a revenue stream for people like me. Well, hallelujah if that comes to pass. I hope it does. I said I would support the beta portion of it. I'll put some debates up there maybe once a week and just see what your engagement is on it. But the question I put on the, on the cited.com debates was, after Coach K finally retires, what's going to happen to Duke's program? Is it going to take a major step back? What, Or is it going to be, you know, like Wolf of Wall Street? Show goes on! Because it's easy to say, well, Duke is bigger than just one man. Duke has, because of Coach K, grown into something bigger. But <laughs> go ask a number of other programs how that works, whether it's UNC when they had Matt Doherty or whether it's Kentucky when they had uh, Gillespie as their head coach or UCLA at the long walk in the woods they took after uh, not just Wooden, although they had some success after that, but at other times. It's not as easy as you think. I think it might be après K le déluge. I think they really could be screwed. But if Dawkins is the guy, I mean, Dawkins is a good, good coach. But you know, Dawkins has been around at a couple of programs now. And he's obviously got something going good at UCF. But if it was that good, I think he'd be somewhere bigger right now and he would have stayed somewhere longer. So we'll see about that. Duke needs more three-point shooting. You don't need me to tell you that. You know that. They need to hit their free throws, too. That cost them big. They missed not just two prior to the Zion one, but Zion missed his, short-armed it. And they could honestly use some white guy guards. That's right, I said it. White guy driveway game. Just a a try-hard hustle, spot-up shooter type. There's nothing against having you know black guys who are also going to be NBA prospects who can also shoot the three and jump out of the gym, but there's something to be said for just a terrorizing, oh shit, we left the white guy open, and now he's going to hit a three on us. I just know it. So we'll see how they do. They got a huge, they got a tough one now against Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech, quietly, very strong weekend, and they've already beaten Duke once already. They've got that knowledge of how to play him. I think that's going to be a war in the next round in the Sweet 16. But it was a hell of a game. I enjoyed it. And honestly, I didn't want to see Zion leave. As much as I enjoy seeing Duke lose and get bounced, I did not want to stop seeing Zion Williamson do his thing. And that brings me to Zion Williamson and the pros. How good and where will he play on the court? Not what franchise will draft him, but where will he play on the court in the NBA? Here was Mike Francesa taking a call about, and Francesa now, for whatever reason, is hard down on not going to be a, he he doesn't say he's not going to be a good pro. He says, I don't buy it that he's a generational talent in the NBA because essentially his argument is, where is he going to play? And what about the guys bigger than him that he'll be matched up against? Here is one typical call. No, of course, but I mean, after watching this weekend of play and watching yeah, uh, the way Zion, yeah, okay, what's Zion in the pros? What's he in the pros? What is he going to do in the pros? I'm listening. What position is I'm, he going to play? Listen, of course, I, of course, I don't have that answer. Yet what the position season, is he going to play? He, why can't you play the four? Okay, he's six foot seven. And he's going to come in as the second heaviest player in the NBA. You think that matters to the guys who are a foot taller than him, who can block, who who are, who are going to stand seven one and play the four? 
I think it helps when you're not, you know, KP who's going to be tossed around. Oh, he's going to toss guys. He's going to toss guys like him around. Okay. No, no, no. Well, so when he plays, so when you're six foot seven and you play KP, what are you going to do to KP who's who's seven foot three? What are you going to do to him? Well, okay, I, we can sit here and we can try and bash Zion. But I'm, not bash, I'm not bashing him. I'm asking you a question. What did I bash him? I didn't say one word about his game. I asked you what... By the way, he's if he is matched up against him in particular possessions, it's going to be a matchup problem for Porzingis because Porzingis is not as fast and not as explosive as Zion Williams. position does he play? You told me four. Well, the average guy in the NBA who plays four, well, how tall is he? I don't have the answer to that. Well, look it up. Try to try coming up with an idea. He's going to play against guys who are going to be a foot taller than him. <laughs> a foot taller. Yeah, there's a ton of guys who are seven seven. Guess what? He played against a guy in this game who was a foot taller than him. By the way, I don't think there's a. I'm not sure there's any NBA players currently seven seven. And yeah, seven three is bigger than six seven, but it's not the end all be all. Here was a little subtle jab, I guess, Raftery gave to this argument during the game itself after a totally fluid, sweet, instinctive basketball play by Zion on a steal, fast break, and about a 40-foot laser beam bounce pass for a layup. Dawkins with 50 seconds to go in the next hands. Bowwise made some plays. Look at that to Jones for two. NBA, where are you going to play him? One, two, three, four, five, whatever you want. Just play him. Put him out there. Goodness. Yeah, exactly. Just put him out there. One, two, three, four, five. You know, the traditional definitions of NBA players have become so outdated, and they've morphed over time. They've created new names for certain positions you know stretch four wasn't even a thing once upon a time in the time that I think Francesca's thinking about the one was the point guard quick guy great handle mostly passed didn't score the two guard was the uh, prototypical shooting guard who could also score a bit on his own the three man was the small forward who was about six six or so somewhere in that range and and could play a little bit of guard, a little bit of front court. Power forward was the guy who mostly stayed down near the the paint, didn't have much range on his jump shot. Think Horace and Harvey Grant. And the center, number you know, the five position, was the center. Well, first of all, there's no centers anymore. It's almost like teams in the NBA play with a one, a one B, a two, and two stretch uh, a stretch four and a power four. And, and guys of all different sizes and skill sets have proven to be very valuable in the NBA. Draymond Green. What, what is Draymond Green? Is he a, you know, a, a power forward? Yes. But he's got some ball handling and shooting skills. And he's a fucking irritant and a, and a dickhead sometimes. But when he's focused, and he's not always focused, you want him on your team. This whole thing, where is he going to play in the pros? Look at how he moves. Look at how he explodes. Look at his instincts. <laughs> We're going to play. Where is he going to play in the pros? On the court. Yeah, but where? No, no. He'll be on the court and they will figure out a way to use him. These arguments about where a guy is going to play, I remember distinctly, and I fell victim to this. I fell into this mindset when Kobe Bryant came into the NBA. 6'6", skinny as all get out. I said, I don't know if he fits. He's not really big enough to be a traditional three. Could it be a two? Turns out it didn't fucking matter. The guy could play basketball and had a will to improve and to be great that was maniacal. And I remember how bad Kobe Bryant was his rookie season. I remember him shooting air balls in Utah, and you're like, who is this dick? <laughs> What's his deal? Well, all those points later, now you know. I think the same argument was made about Steph Curry. Too small. He's not a true point. Doesn't really pass it. He's more of a score. He's not going to translate to the pro. Oh, shit. He's the greatest shooter ever. Yeah, I guess he's kind of valuable. We should probably find a place for him on the court. They will find a place for Zion Williamson. Now, one last thing on <laughs> Francesa. <laughs> 
This guy, I'm telling you, this guy is, I don't want to say he's a mental case. That's a bit harsh. He has some psychological issues. He has the most amazing capacity to either A, forget what he said five minutes ago. That's you, Baldy. Shut up. Or he is such a megalomaniac that he has an even better capacity to never admit he was wrong and pretend like his current opinion is the one that he's had all along. Here was Francesa flip-flopping on Zion Williamson from October or actually November to now. This kid, though, after three games, and I've watched video of all three of his games. Matter of fact, I watched a whole bunch of it last night of all three games. He's playing on, he needs a higher level. This is too easy. He's the best player I've seen step on a college floor in a very long time. Very, very. 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 All these kids, what we talked about in recent years, he's better. He, right now he's better than all of them. Mike, hey, you know, if the Knicks have the number one pick in this comparison for This, by the way, was about a couple months later. So that clip was right after the first three games. And don't worry, Mike told you, he watched tape of Zion, all of it, and was there to pro- proclaim him the best he's seen in a long time. Zion is as tall as Barkley. He's still got to run to the podium and take him first overall. I mean, it's a no-brainer. No, do not take him first. <laughs> what? Do not take him first. Absolutely not. I mean, I'm being honest with you. There's better players out there. I'm sorry. There's better players. Okay, name a few. I'm sure he might say John Morant, but you'd be fucking crazy to take him over Zion. You take him first, you're going to wish you didn't. (laughs) No. No, nobody is ever going to say, God, I wish we didn't do that. Not just because of the player he is, but he's got a seemingly has a good head on his shoulders. He sounds like he's a kid who really gets it. He's the best player I've seen step on a college floor in a very long time. I mean, I'm being honest with you. There's better players out there. I'm sorry. (laughs) He's priceless. One of a kind. Mike Francesa. Oh, there's nothing quite like the smell of fresh blood upsets in the month of March. The 12-5 stunners, the 11-over-6 buzzer beaters. But most of the time, what do you get for that? A dash of I told you so at the water cooler? Oh, look at my bracket. I nailed that one. Great. Wouldn't you rather get paid instead? At mybookie.ag, you can and you will. The 12-5 upset when betting with my bookie is a take your girl out to steak dinner winner winner. And right now, when you sign up for an account, MyBookie will match your deposit with a 50% bonus. Here, just have 50% more. Why not? Use promo code ZABE, Charlie, Zulu, Alpha, Bravo, Echo, at MyBookie.ag to activate. We're all going to be in office pools, and that's fine. Nobody's going to get the perfect bracket. We know that. But you can make a killing at tournament time by seeing the big mistake coming and pouncing. So let's go, people. My bookie will match your deposit with a 50% bonus. Use promo code ZABE to activate the offer. You play, you win, you get paid. Only at mybookie.ag. So as I sit here and tape this on Sunday night, there's a few games still finishing up. And I guess it was, I guess it's a good time to sit here and look at my bracket, my official bracket that I printed out. And I said, here it is. It's not terrible. It does have 11 of the Sweet 16 in there. And more importantly, it has all eight of my Elite Eight. So that's pretty good right there. We'll see if I can keep that going. As far as other people and their brackets, Darren Ravel reports that there's one fan bracket in existence on all the different platforms that is still perfect. At least they were perfect through about 7 p.m. on Sunday night. It was an entry called Center Road, and they were 44 for 44. They needed Virginia, Virginia Tech, Houston, and Oregon to be the first person ever to pick it all pick all the way through to the Sweet 16. Now, I think I talked about this here on the Zabecast. Maybe not. Stop me if I did. How are they going to stop you? They can't. You're going to get my point. 
the Sweet 16, just picking the Sweet 16 perfectly, is pretty much impossible for the most part. I mean, a handful of people do uh, every year, like 15, 16, 17, 18, people like that. But to be perfect through the Sweet 16, yeah, there's there's uh, there's more to it than just, you know, perfect bracket, I've got all 16. You can miss a few and still pick the Sweet 16. I think that's the case. Yeah. Yeah, you could absolutely you can miss half the games and still pick the Sweet 16 perfectly. Nobody's been perfect through the Sweet 16 ever in documented bracket history. I think the best somebody went years ago was 35 for 35 out of the gate. Then last year got bumped to 39 out of 39. This entry already has now gotten farther, 44 for 44. They might make it to the Sweet 16, which would be awesome. I wondered if we keep doing this long enough, and by that I mean society, if they keep playing the tournament, if we keep doing these online pools, will we eventually nudge that perfect mark all the way to a literal perfect bracket? I suppose that would be like the monkeys typing Shakespeare analogy. If you give a million monkeys a million typewriters, eventually... Combined, they're going to knock out one of Shakespeare's plays if for nothing else by accident. I suppose if we keep doing online bracket challenges and we're able to score all of them electronically and make sure, yes, this was turned in, time-stamped on Thursday or by Wednesday before the tournament began, and this guy's perfect. Holy shit, this guy picked the perfect bracket. Will we march upwards all the way to the mountaintop? Will I see it in my lifetime? Again, of a million monkeys, a million typewriters, a million brackets, eventually one's going to be perfect, right? You think? Maybe? I would probably bet somebody's going to find a way to hack one of these services and insert retroactively the perfect bracket somehow. They'd have to change the code, though, as they went along because they're checking it every step of the way. And I'm not sure how that's going to go. So my bracket's not terrible. I like the fact I got all eight of the uh, Elite Eight still in there. And as far as my gambling goes, that's a different story altogether. Holy shit. It's either going to be the worst week ever in Vegas for Zabe Vegas betting on games or the best. Either the tide is going to turn or I really just should take the week off. Should maybe just bet WNBA games. In fact, WNBA is not even playing right now, right? It's not summer yet. Bet the women's tournament instead. So if you go to my bookie, as you know by now, you can get an account and you can bet and you can lose like I've been losing. I was only betting 10 bucks a game, but I was getting so pissed at the side I had, which was the right side, ending up not being the winner, such as the Wofford-Kentucky game, where Kentucky, minus six, or excuse me, minus five and a half, I had him at five and a half, wins by six, thanks to two free throws from some guy named Hero, H-E-R-R-O. Wofford has a chance for a three late Fletcher McGee, who was Fletcher McClank, 0 for 12 from beyond the arc. After setting the all-time record, that's the karmic god saying, okay, son, that's enough. Fletcher McGee comes down, waning seconds of the game. It's a four-point game. He launches, and you're going, please go in, please go in, please go in. That's going to change everything if you got Wofford plus five and a half. Clank, no good. Rebound, foul, fuck. And my first thought was, this guy, Hero, can he can miss a free throw, right? And that's when the announcer chimes in. I think it was Ian Eagle said, Hero hasn't missed a free throw since Christmas. Or he's missed one free throw since Christmas. In my sad Homer voice, I mumbled to myself, Is it Christmas yet? Swish, swish, smash my remote control into the couch. Loser. Kentucky minus six. Which was... uh, Pretty much the theme of the weekend. Let's see. I went 5-9-1 on day one, 5-11 on day two. Not too good, as Spurrier would say. 
Uh, that would be a t- combined 10, 20, and 1 going into the weekend. Saturday, I got out of the gates hot. I was 0 for 5 and then won a game. I won the Michigan State-Minnesota game. And at that point, I think I got tired. I, I, I fell asleep on the couch in the basement, and I missed betting the last two games. And that was probably for the best. Woke up Sunday, bet the first two games again, had Tennessee minus seven and a half. They were up 20 fucking five. And they blew that lead. Go to overtime. And you're thinking, okay, possible backdoor overtime cover. Let's go volunteers. No, they win by six. 83-77. They don't win by eight. <laughs> Loser. At least I had Washington over, at least I had Carolina over Washington. That one did cover. And at that point, I was so just stung from the whole weekend. I said, just hit the bench. Hit the bench. You'll be in Vegas on Thursday, actually on Wednesday, and you'll get to gamble in person, and you can figure it out then. But having gone 11, 25, and 1, betting $10, $10, $10, it was not a very good weekend. Can I fade myself? Yeah, I can fade myself. How do you know if you're fading yourself, though? Do you do you have to? If you, it's almost like when you're dreaming, and and you want to be able to know that you're dreaming without breaking the dream, so you can then go do shit in your dream you'd always like to do. I don't know if I know I'm fading myself. I can count on myself to correctly pick losers and then flip it, flip it, flip it and pick winners instead to fade myself. We'll see. Hopefully it's a better week in Vegas. Every now and then a story comes along in sports that I call a Buffalo. It's the meatiest, most delicious sports radio type story that can feed the tribe for days And often the best sports talk radio stories don't have an easy black or white answer. They might have conflicting or multiple correct answers or multiple correct takes. I would say that the Tom Izzo freakout on Aaron Henry in round number one is one of those perfect stories. Because on the one hand, it's easy to look at Izzo and say, what the fuck is wrong with you, man? Really? I know you're intense. I know that you give tough love. But control yourself just a bit, why don't you? I've always said about Izzo that he is a GCCSH. Not unlike a GGCSH in golf, which is a great guy can't stand him. Guys like Matt Kuchar even before this whole caddy incident, uh, Zach Johnson, GGCSH. Great guy, can't stand him. I know. People say, but what do you have against Zach Johnson? Uh, nothing. I just, I don't like his style. I, I don't like his little pugnaciousness. I don't like his caddy who does the bird flap. Stupid. Great guy, can't stand him. Don't, I don't argue that he's a great guy. Izzo is a GC. CSH, great coach, can't stand him. Just like uh, I would say that when it comes to players, you can put uh, James Harden as a GP, CSH. Great player, can't stand him. Not not my guy, Uh, just not a fan. Izzo is a great coach, no question about it. Players love him, the results are there, and that's fine. But I've always looked at him like a dick. And just whatever. In this case, you have him totally freaking out on Aaron Henry, a a freshman, and it was in the first round. A first-round game, which they were actually uncomfortably tight in, and I was sort of hoping they would lose so I could then run my mouth on good old Michigan State. Uh, But they beat Bradley, finally going away, 76-65. Didn't cover, though. Bradley was a 17.5-point underdog. Afterwards, uh. Izzo was asked about what happened to make you go so cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs on this kid. You know, there were some things Aaron didn't do a very good job of. And and yet, you know what? Like I like happened. 
I did get after him, and he did respond, and he did make a couple big buckets, and he did make some big free throws. But that's not good enough. This is one and done time, you know. The my bads are out the window. If they're my bads because that team played better or that guy played better, if it's my bad because I decided to jog back instead of sprint back, then it is your bad, and you're going to hear about it. So Maybe. that's what it was. Afterwards, Aaron Henry himself said, no big deal. That's, there was no abuse done. There was nothing bad done. It's just coaching. I mean, and he, that, that's what he is. It's, that's his label. That's his job. He's, he's coaching me. And then you can't be sorry for that. You can't be sorry he wants to help me. You can't be upset at how he does it. Everybody has their method, and his method is just doing it the way he does. So I know what I signed up for. My family did too, and I'm all for it. Here was Izzo's response to the critics after the game about, hey, man, did, wasn't that a bad look even though – your player said he didn't mind it. I get a kick out of you guys. Get after somebody because you're trying to hold them accountable. I don't know what kind of business you're in, but I'll tell you what, if I was the head of a newspaper and you didn't do your job, you'd be held accountable. That's the way it is. So there's that. Then you had some people on Twitter who were jumping in the fray. Like, for example, uh, Gary Williams, who you know, coach at Maryland, and a guy who would get crazy and yell and stomp and sweat and scream, but his players love him and he has the results to prove it. Gary tweeted, life is tough. Tom Izzo's players learn valuable lessons that will last a lifetime. That drew a response on Twitter from someone from B-Ball Breakdown. I have no idea who that is. Who wrote, I'll be happy when this type of coaching finally goes extinct as this generation of coaches retire and fade away. B-Ball Breakdown then replied to Gary by saying, Coach, I respect your opinion. I simply submit that there are other ways to motivate and hold players accountable that are more optimal and have been scientifically proven as well. It's science! People quickly responded to that by saying, oh, really? Show me the science on that. Show me the the science. God, is that the biggest fucking nerd argument right there? Uh, Scientifically proven. Scott Van Pelt on SportsCenter also pushed back against the ninnies who were going crazy over Izzo. We're so concerned with safe spaces and not saying mean things that when a coach gets on a player, it's seen by some of you as out of bounds. And that is insane to me. Is that the only way to get your point across? No. You can go about it differently. But you notice who didn't have a problem with it? Michigan State. Did you notice what seniors Cassius Winston and Matt McQuaid did? They told Izzo, we got this. Because they have a voice. They've been empowered in a family dynamic that occasionally gets volatile. Because there's a scoreboard and they're trying to win. You know who else didn't have a problem with it? The freshman who was getting the what for, Aaron Henry. His social media, as well as the accounts of past Spartans like Miles Bridges and Draymond Green and countless other Spartans, gave insights into why they didn't and don't have a problem with it. But that doesn't matter to people who don't really want context. They just want to be mad and be offended. So be good and mad about how Tom Izzo yelled at his players. His players, past and present, have a rare loyalty to him. He doesn't have a transfer problem. He has the opposite. A bunch of four-year guys, the overwhelming majority of whom have gotten to Final Fours in part because of being held accountable the way he holds them accountable. You don't like it? Fine. Don't send your kid there. But stop being offended by things that don't concern you because they're not. Chris Carter weighed in as well on first things first and said essentially, look, Izzo gets into the living rooms of these young men and their families and their moms and their dads if they're both still in the picture. And and he says to him, look, I'm going to turn your young man into a man. I'm going to turn your boy into a man. I'm going to coach him. I'm going to hold him accountable. I'm going to teach him life lessons. And that works. That's what uh, That's what Chris Carter said. Others, though, and so we got all these people weighing in. It's great. It's a big old dog pile. Uh, Others like uh, Alan Shipnuck, who writes, he's a golf writer, jumped in with both feet as well and said Izzo has won a ton, so coaches at all levels look to him on how to comport themselves. Losing it to the point of having to be restrained is a sign of weakness, not strength. He wasn't really restrained by the other players. 
on the team, they were like saying, okay, okay, coach, we got it. We're going to get in our teammates' ass right now. Don't worry about it. We'll make sure that he's doing what you want him to do. Settle down. Shipnuck was then quickly derided as, oh, okay, so you're saying you're on the level of Tom Izzo? Sit down. And Shipnuck replied, I've coached high school and middle school hoop. Hoop. I know firsthand you get more out of your players by building them up than tearing them down. Well, okay then. <laughs> you know, I stayed at a Holiday Inn, Ex- Holiday Inn Express once. <laughs> Seriously, Alan? Man, I like you. I like your writing. Where? Just step back and look at yourself and go, okay, that was stupid. You're not a guy who has built a battleship basketball program. You're not a guy who has put dozens of players into the NBA. You've not coached Division I. You coached in high school and middle school. Who knows what kind of squidnicks you coached, what low self-esteem having not very athletic kids. It's totally fucking different. Come on. That said... There's a picture of Izzo that is so dramatic in this one moment with his freshman where Izzo is literally inches from Aaron Henry's face. He has absolute rage in his eyes and a scowl that looks like a shark's mouth and his right fist His right hand is balled up into a tight fist. It's not a good look in today's super woke age in which a white coach making $7 million a year is looking like he's about to knock the shit out of a young African-American player who's getting room, board, and tuition. I understand that's a bad look. It's one moment, it's one instant, it's one frame in time. Izzo has never punched one of his own players or anyone else's player, a la Woody Hayes. So there's nothing really to get hype to hyperventilate about on this, but it's a bad look. It's a bad look. Also, it needs to be pointed out that sometimes a coach with a few dismissive words said quietly or muttered or under their breath can cut a kid to the core. Or just ignoring a kid or dismissing him altogether can be the cruelest thing he can do instead of yelling at him. A muttered statement of, you guys suck. Or, you're the worst player I've ever seen. You should really go home and cry to your mama. A coach could say that with that tone, at that volume, without making any facial expressions. No one would ever know about it. And it may cause a kid to go, you know what, fuck it, I don't want to play. I'm, I'm too hurt. There's a Minnesota football coach who just retired. I want to say St. Norbert, but if you guys could help me out on this one, I appreciate it. Nice research. Anyway, he apparently never yelled. He never had like tackle practices, never yelled, never cussed. And he had one of the most successful Division II or maybe Division Three football programs in the country. Just winning, 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 winning. So the Allen Shipnucks and the basketball breakdowns of the world are not necessarily wrong, and they they sort of swerve into a larger point, which is, so if it's okay for Izzo to do this just because he's put guys in the pros, just because players will vouch for him, who else can do it? How many wins do you need before you start this style? Can a guy who is just hired in D1 start out as this megalomaniacal asshole tyrant who screams at his players at every turn. And how come Bobby Knight wasn't given the same deference as, yeah, he's crazy and intense and he'll scare the shit out of you, but every one of his players swears by him. And they loved him. And they loved playing for him. And they knew what they were signing up for. And they come back every year and they're part of the program. And they've gone on to successful lives and careers, even the ones, especially the ones that didn't make it in the NBA, of which Knight didn't produce a lot of NBA players. Where was the same leeway? I don't know. 
Izzo's got it. Izzo's got people at his back, uh, having his back. Well, what's your point, Zabe? You've rattled on for 12 minutes. I don't even know where you stand on this. That's my point. My point is I can see both sides of it. I can see the the angle of, well, who gets to do this? And at what point does it go out? How close was Izzo to going over the line? I remember early on in uh, Kelly, Brian Kelly's career at Notre Dame, he went red-faced, screaming at a kid on the sidelines. This was before he won shit at Notre Dame. I'm not sure if it was before the forklift accident or not, but either way. And he had to kind of apologize afterward and say, yeah, I'm a little bit too high strung. Because it was like a September game, and second quarter, and he just lost his mind. And you say to yourself, is that really good coaching? If all coaching was was yelling at kids and telling them to run up and down the court, we'd all be great coaches. I'll just end on this. Drew McGarry, my friend, and a, a writer who can really spin it, can spin a word. But he's a guy who has gone so far in one direction of wokeness and softness and apologeticness. I just don't know. When I see Drew again next time, and I told him, I said, I'd like to hook up and we'll do a little podcast again. Because even though politically he is diametrically opposed to many of the things and people that I am, I still don't let that get in the way of a guy that I like to have a good laugh with. And there are certainly areas in which we both overlap and say, yeah, this is total bullshit. Here's what Drew McGarry went on, went to write on Deadspin. And the headline was, I think it was, uh, stop defending Tom Izzo's dipshittery or assholery or something like that. McGarry said, if you've ever been yelled at like this or had your feelings hurt in some other way, you know that it can be a slow burn. The pain can last for years. Not everyone can just shrug it off the way the wingnuts demand. Being hurt by hurtful things is not a moral or physical failing. You also know that you may not be quick to disclose being hurt to others, especially when you know it could result in embarrassment or even more hurt. You might internalize that pain and perhaps blame yourself for the whole thing, even though you don't deserve it. Oh, God. Drew, this is the world's tiniest violin playing the world's saddest song. Take it from someone who has yelled at his own kids, writes Drew. Oh, boy. Here we go. This is like Shipnut going, you know, I coached high school hoop. You know, I yelled at my kids once. It doesn't work and it shouldn't be normal. It's a shameful act, says Drew. I can do better. And I ought to. If you think this kind of blind fury aimed at young people is normal, even a necessity, well then, that explains why this country is so fucked at the present. If Izzo was a math teacher who did that to a kid, would that be fine? Would his berserker routine shape that kid into the second coming of Einstein? Bad analogy, Drew, and you know it, but come on. Oh, maybe that kid could run his Amy Klobuchar's Veep one day. She expects a lot out of people, you know. Uh, She's the senator from Minnesota. I think I'm saying her name right. Maybe not. Klobuchar, Klobuchar, Klobuchar. I had read that she has just screamed at and gone off on her staff (laughs) multiple times where staffers locked themselves in their room crying. Drew, 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 Drew. You've gone too far on this one. Gary Williams is right. Life is tough. Your feelings will get hurt. But you try to you try to press on. Many times those hurt feelings are the best teachers in life. Let's end on this today. A little technological or a little tech review for you. I owned a pair of Apple AirPods. You know, the douchebag looking earrings, the 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 wireless earpods. AirPods, earpods. And I liked them. I really did. I liked them a lot. And then I lost them. Because they're easy to lose. They're just they're a tiny little bubblegum pack sized container that serves as a charger and a case for these things. I don't know where I left them. Probably at the Super Bowl somewhere. Uh, didn't put my name on them. 
Nobody was running around going, oh, who, who left these AirPods around? They're like, yoink, I'll take them. And I was in a, a little bit of a state of mourning. I was like, oh, sucks. I kind of like those things. And I went without them for a bit, saying, no, I'm not getting another pair. I'm going to punish myself. You take better care of your shit. You suffer. Suffer for losing your shit. But I remember I had Sony points. And the only thing I didn't like about the AirPods was that they tended to, at least in my ears, wiggle out if I was doing any vigorous activity, which, let's be honest, I don't do a lot of at this point. I should. And so I saw that Sony, with my reward points on my credit card, I could get a pair of their ear wireless earbuds that had the little plastic wingies, the little rubber wingies that wedge into part of the cochlear region. Is that even the right term? The Whatever the exterior of your ear is, the architecture of your earlobe. And it it's just sort of wedges in there and it stays in a lot firmer. And I said, okay, I'm going to redeem some of my points for this free pair of headphones. They suck. They suck in so many ways I can't even begin to describe. First of all, there's a power button on each one. It's hard to see. You have to press it, and then you have to wait, and then you see it lights up. There's a tiny little LED light. Then you got to pair them. Pairing them is not as easy as it should be. Worse yet, the little case they come in, to put it back in the case to charge, you have to manually twist the rubber ear wingies out of the way of how they fit in the case. Totally pain, stupid pain in the ass. I'm, I was quickly annoyed by it, saying, this is no good. I also had trouble figuring out, okay, where does this little wing thing fit in my ear? Wait, is it here? Is it this nook or whatever? And the sound on them were not very good at all. So I finally said, fuck it, I'm going to buy another pair of AirPods because AirPods are so elegant in most things that, just like most things that Apple designs, they are so elegant and they work. They just work. They have no buttons on them. You take them out of the case. You, well, you take the case and you put it near your phone and your phone instantly sees that, oh, there's some AirPods nearby. Would you like to connect? One button press. You're not diving into the settings, Bluetooth, discoverable, passwords. Where is it going? No, one button. Boom. AirPods work. They, they jump right into their case, easily fitting in there. Boom. Uh, they're really good quality. After using these shitty Sony earbuds, I put the AirPods in and I cranked it up to 11. And I was like, damn, this is good for a small in-ear device. They're great for having phone conversations on because they've got a microphone in each earbud and they have a microchip in each earbud that actually listens for wind noise and interference and it hands off seamlessly your voice between the two different ear pods to give an even better sounding call or at least that's what they say i've had people tell me that i've sounded really good and i'm like yeah i'm on my my airpods right now they're they're a marvelous thing and they are totally un for once in Apple's lifetime, they are totally fairly priced. They're 169 bucks a pop, 169 bucks a pair. They should be 250, 300 dollars if you ask me. As good as they are, buck 69. So I went, I went to go buy them, and I just realized that they're coming out with a new version. In fact, they already announced Apple did a new version that has wireless charging and better this and better that. But after reading, I was like, eh, it's really not much better. I went and got a pair of AirPods again, and I'm totally happy. Convenient, quick, really good sound quality, the best technology, no futzing around with the case or anything like that. They're great. Just don't lose them. And of course, the first thing I did was I wrote in Sharpie my name and my phone number on the case of the AirPods. So I'm sure, I'm sure the next time that I lose them, a good Samaritan will find them and give me a call right away. And that concludes your little bit of tech review for a Monday. Thanks for listening. Hope your college basketball watching went well. Tomorrow, Andy Poland will get into a bunch of other stuff. Not 
about the tournament itself and beyond. And then we'll have Jay on Wednesday. Then we're off to Vegas. You'll hear the golf guys on Thursday and the recorded version of our live Zabecast in Vegas. Zabe Vegas 2019 at the MGM and the level up area with all the people who are coming out for the Papa Shot tournament, meet, greet, and everything else. Uh, you'll hear the live version if you are a subscriber at zabe.com slash premium. Go there today and become a true one percenter. That will do it for me today. Thank you so much for listening. Have yourself a great Monday. Get into a second chance bracket. Do a sweet 16 fantasy league. That can be kind of fun. And don't stop watching the basketball. I get a sense the tournament is about to get awesome. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. Oh, there's nothing quite like the smell of fresh blood upsets in the month of March. The 12-5 stunners, the 11-over-6 buzzer beaters. But most of the time, what do you get for that? A dash of I told you so at the water cooler? Oh, look at my bracket. I nailed that one. Great. Wouldn't you rather get paid instead? At mybookie.ag, you can and you will. The 12-5 upset when betting with mybookie is a take-your-girl-out-to-steak dinner winner winner and right now when you sign up for an account my bookie will match your deposit with a 50 percent bonus here just have 50 percent more why not use promo code zabe charlie zulu alpha bravo echo at mybookie.ag to activate we're all going to be in office pools and that's fine nobody's going to get the perfect bracket we know that but you can make a killing at tournament time by seeing the big mistake coming and pouncing so let's go, people. My bookie will match your deposit with a 50% bonus. Use promo code ZABE to activate the offer. You play, you win, you get paid. Only at mybookie.ag.